0: Hello and welcome to Afternoonified, the podcast where we're going to burn the patriarchy to the ground. I'm Emily. I'm Emily. S- Sarah? Sarah, are you there? Yeah, yeah, give me a sec. My, la- my lighter's out of juice. I-, I didn't mean literally. Excuse me, I need to go call the fire department real quick. nice theme song like the serial killer and the arsonist (laughs) teaching you about your dick Um, (laughs) oh boy this is gonna be a punchy episode you guys punchy on many fronts oh so one thing we missed you all oh yeah we took a break welcome back i hope you missed us i mean you took a break from us we didn't take a break (laughs) Everyone got a vacation from Emily and Sarah. Yes, it's it's all so fresh in my mind. <laughs> I can almost taste the cannibalism. Cannibalism. So, cannibalism. Um, you got to say it like you know how to pronounce it. Uh so our other special announcement, this is episode 69. <laughs> which is the sex number. <laughs> Sarah wouldn't let me do an episode about the porn brothers. No, but we've got a better episode for you because it's about hysteria. It's definitely more informative. Well, I wouldn't say informative. This is our podcast. But <laughs> it's it's loosely educational. So you can go out <laughs> in the world and maybe win a round of trivia. Loosely educational is a very good Well, that's very good a, summary of our podcast. Unfortunately, that's not a category on iTunes. <laughs> <laughs> it really should be, because I can think of 90% of educational podcasts that should be loosely educational. It's comicational. Comicational. That's not a word. It is now. <laughs> Tell iTunes that. I mean, if what we're about to learn about is any indicator, you can just make shit up. I mean, generally speaking, yeah. As long as you're an old-timey white doctor. This is true. So, we should, Yeah, we'll hysteria. get into it. Yes. So historically, hysteria was a medical diagnosis reserved almost exclusively for women uh, and was considered by Western medicine to be both common and chronic. (laughs) Symptoms varied wildly and uh, included anxiety, nervousness, shortness of breath, fainting, fluid retention, heaviness in the abdomen, irritability. This is PMS. (laughs) Loss of appetite for food or sex or paradoxically uh sexual desire sexually forward behavior and quote a tendency to cause trouble for others pms yeah uh basically hysteria is what women were diagnosed with whenever they weren't behaving precisely as society wanted them to which is just a fucking running theme in history isn't it (laughs) anyway that's the episode no we'll get into it gets burned at the stake in this one (laughs) well (laughs) oh god (laughs) Hysteria is no longer recognized as a legitimate medical or psychiatric disorder, and today we're going to find out why. <laughs> Science. And, oh boy. Oh boy. I I mean, I kind of knew a lot about this, but like in reading up on it, didn't realize like just how insanely bananas all of this is and things people, wandering around. People actually believed it? I can't even. Okay. People actually believed it. A short compilation of stories from history. (laughs) (laughs) So speaking of history, we'll get into some of that. Both the ancient Egyptians and the Greeks believed the uterus was capable of affecting the rest of the body. Uh, There are Egyptian texts known as the Kahun Papiri uh, that include the first description of hysteria and those date back to 1900 BC. So this has been bullshit for literal millennia. Yeah. (laughs) men have been bad all throughout history. I mean, that's, like I said, running theme. (laughs) Uh, So hysteria even pops up in some Greek myths. There is a story about Melampus, which is a name. Melampus? Melampus. I'm assuming that's how you pronounce that word. What's the advice? Say it as you how. Say it like you know how to pronounce it. Yeah, it just sounds like something a drunk person would say when they're trying to describe (laughs) the lighting in their apartment. It's very Melampus. Melampus. Well, Melampus. Uh, was a soothsayer, a healer, and one of the Argonauts, um, and he was called in to deal with the revolt of virgins in the city of Argo, uh, who revolt had refused. Revolt of virgins sounds like a mid nineties Pacific Northwest punk band, <laughs> are that too? Uh, but they apparently their revolt was refusing to honor the phallus, and they just kind of fled into the woods. Which I am sorry, what was Sounds about like a, a pretty good time. The, the line I was given by a very smart academic paper on this was they refused to honor the phallus i don't know what the context is for that honestly i didn't feel like looking into it but they didn't want to honor it and they went into the woods which i can well i I wouldn't say agree with i don't like outside but i get it wanted to wander into the woods and do sing-alongs to (laughs) katie lang songs and i imagine it was like that scene at the end of the witch Oh, yeah. No, that's just a bunch of naked ladies like dancing around the fire and then they all levitate into the sky. Because why not? That's the dream. I mean, isn't it? (laughs) So Melampus cured the woman with hellebore and then urged them to join carnally with young and strong men. This is also a direct quote from a very smart and academic research paper, by the way. Oh, Uh, after which they were healed and recovered their wits. Uh, Melampus spoke of the women's madness as a result of their uterus being poisoned by venomous humors in uh, due to lack of orgasms and, quote-unquote, uterine melancholy, whatever the shit that is supposed to be. I mean, if it wasn't so like deeply rooted in hatred of women and oppression of women, I kind of enjoy that as a way to describe <laughs> some feelings. <laughs> Who hasn't had their uterus full of venom before? I mean... Um. So, movie pitch. (laughs) Tom Hardy. (laughs) Did I just describe the porn version of Venom? Yeah, you did. (laughs) Hollywood, get on it. I don't think Hollywood is who you need to be calling about that. I think like Anaheim or Pasadena is who you need to be calling about that. So. The Greeks had some pretty wild ideas about the uterus in general, (laughs) uh, including, but not limited to, the belief that the uterus was actually capable of moving around the body. That's my favorite shitty medical fact. This is just just going wherever it feels like. Uh, They called it wandering wandering womb. This is an actual thing. It was described in the gynecological treatise of Hippocratic Corpus which is a collection of works that dates back to the 4th and 5th centuries BC. So throughout these classical texts, pretty much any symptom could be traced back to the female sex organs, Organs from fever to kleptomania. I mean, they do cause a lot of my problems. I mean, generally speaking, but not because it's moving around, which is what they thought, which is the, the uterus, having moved around the body, uh, is putting pressure on other organs. And according to Plato... The Plato. Yeah. Okay, so famous man blocking passages, obstructing breathing, and causing disease. Mm, I think the worst thing mine has caused me to do is bring a five foot three Israeli guy home who is living out of his jeep. But sure, we've all sure. Yeah, <laughs> who among us? <laughs> I hope. No, I hope just there are Emily. A lot of people who haven't done that. Just Emily, I would think. In the Hippocratic texts, pretty much all women, but particularly. The childless were susceptible to the disease. Yeah, just get ready. Well, you have to have something in it to weigh it down. <laughs> a later Greek physician Galen of Pergamon believed that the most vulnerable group was widows. Um, Quote, this is a quote from him. Oh, God. Uh, particularly those who had previously menstruated regularly had been pregnant and were eager to have intercourse, but were now deprived of all this. Depri- so, mm, Nope, not even going to. So he wasn't big on the wandering womb stuff, but he was very concerned with the retention of, this is going to be another air quotes filled episode, but quote unquote, female seed, which was believed to turn venomous if not released through regular climax or intercourse, which is straight out of the myth of Melampus and the Virgins of Argo, because of course it is. So if I'm not mistaken, female self dealing with, I don't know, this is a family friendly podcast. Uh. Um... Uh, I don't mm-hmm. think that people approved of that back in the day. So it was basically like, you need a man. Yep. See, and this is the thing. If the patient was married, problem solved. If not, doctors did have some alternatives. Oh, no. No, 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 no. <laughs> uh, so treatments included rubbing in ointments to the external genitalia. Uh well, This was yeah. <laughs> performed by midwives, not physicians. Um but also fumigating the body with special fragrances. No, no fumigating. So okay, so this is how this worked. It's not as bad as you probably think it is. I'm but thinking it's, still it's a pretty douche. No, not quite. So what it is is you apply foul smells to the woman's nose to drive the uterus down, and then you apply pleasant smells to their vulva to attract it. You could So it's like <laughs> trapping a feral cat? Pretty much. Okay. Uh, You could also induce sneezing, and that would drive the uterus back to its rightful place. So whenever you get a little sniffle, it's probably your uterus, and Mm. you should probably get it back down there. You know, I have been dealing with this the wrong way. (laughs) Clearly. (laughs) As I say, I am solving all my problems wrong. Uh, So while the Greeks never referred to any of this, like, explicitly as hysteria it's definitely where we got the term because the, hysteria has a greek root hysteria is the greek word for uterus so oh my god Yep. Yeah. pretty pretty straightforward i mean i'm glad it's a word we still use today to describe being insane mostly when it's a woman yeah almost exclusively, exclusively almost really <laughs> so uh throughout the middle ages and this will come as no surprise to anyone who's listened to more than five minutes of this podcast, uh, the symptoms of hysteria were most often cre- uh, credited to demonic possession because everything in the Middle Ages was caused by demonic possession uh, and because it was believed that demonic forces were most attracted to those prone to melancholy, typically single women in the elderly because what do they have to live for, mm-hmm. right? I mean, single women have the thought of, like, maybe getting married someday to live for, so. Possibly. Uh, so this... Uh, By the like the 17th century, this had fallen out of vogue, mainly because during the Renaissance, everyone decided they were super smart and just went back to thinking the Greeks probably had it right, like, medically speaking. So during the 16th and 17th centuries, hysteria was believed to be caused by the retention of humors or fluids in the uterus, sexual deprivation, or, again, the uterus just fucking wandering around the body because... I mean, sometimes it is the first two things, (laughs) Uh, the high, most highly recommended long-term long-term course of treatment for a woman suffering from hysteria was marriage and regular sexual encounters with her husband. Uh, self-treatment. Okay, that's what I should have said. Yep, yeah, such as masturbation was not recommended because, you know, Jesus hates that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so during this time, sexual intercourse was thought to purge the uterus of built-up fluid, and semen was believed to have healing properties i can guarantee you it only makes things worse men just assume that their dick is magical it has never improved any situation cod and so because they're you know they had magical semen ejaculation outside the vagina was not recommended uh, because if he's not coming inside you how can you receive all the health benefits this episode is making me very uncomfortable (laughs) (laughs) you wanted an episode 69 emily (laughs) Yeah, I was going to talk about, like, a lady getting fucked on a trapeze, but sure. Uh, so. I'm glad I'm not still bleeping out swear words. Uh, Thank God this whole episode would be done. this, This episode never would have happened. So, because of the magical semen, they also discouraged the use of birth control because of fucking course they did. No, you gotta make more Catholics. Right? God forbid. We are running out of them. Actually, we might be. No, probably not. I mean, they might. I mean, be we're l- running out of like Western Catholics. I feel like they might be a little inbred, but since you have <laughs> nine of them per person, like the ex, they're growing exponentially. So, medical professionals in the 16th and 17th centuries continued to study the causes and effects of hysteria, and physicians like Ambrose Pare, Paré, cannot talk, Thomas Sydenham, and Abraham Zakudo all published findings. Uh, so, here's a fun quote from Zakudo. Mm. While we're at it. Mm. Because of retention of the sexual fluid, the heart and surrounding areas are enveloped in a morbid and moist exudation. This is especially true of the more lascivious females inclined to venery, passionate women who are most eager to experience physical pleasure. Uh, If she is of this type, she cannot ever be relieved by any aid except that of her parents who are advised to find her a husband. Having done so, the man's strong and vigorous intercourse alleviated the frenzy. So basically what he said was, If a woman is too fun, find her a man so she's less fun. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. So when a woman was unmarried or widowed, uh, manual simulation was sometimes recommended, though there was continued debate about whether it was morally acceptable acceptable for the physician to perform this treatment. No! Uh, Many many physicians insisted on using midwives as intermediaries, and it was often regarded as a treatment of last resort. Put a pin in this. We will talk about it more later. I'd rather not, but okay, <laughs> oh boy, we are just getting to Victorian times, oh, you know those no, are they the were best, the worst the best and the most fun of all the times, so beginning in the eighteenth century, hysteria slowly became associated with mechanisms within the brain and not like all the lady bits um well, but thank it was God. still yeah, <laughs> marginal, marginal progress uh it was still considered a condition almost exclusive to women, yeah so in in 1880, Jean-Martin Charcot, the founder of modern neurology, he was the first to describe hysteria as a neurological disorder as opposed to, you know, the uterus being up where your heartbeat. I mean, one step closer to, oh, it's not a real thing. Almost. We're getting there. We're so close. <laughs> not really. So many have theorized that the stress associated with the typical female life at the time caused civilized women to become more susceptible to nervous disorders. Basically, like their femininity or to be more accurate, what all these exclusively male physicians (laughs) defined as femininity was an essential nature with defined functions, you know, like getting married and having babies. Uh, And when that natural tendency is disrupted by modern life, it causes melancholy and melancholy leads to hysteria. So their hypothesis seriously was just that the ladies just couldn't deal with the industrial revolution. I mean, it's really just the 19th century equivalent of bitches be crazy. Am I right? (laughs) Yeah, that's that's exactly what it is. And now that you mention it, I mean, even though we have scientifically proven that a lot of it is wrong, that frame of mind still kind of holds to this day to a certain extent. Oh, oh, very much so. I went on a whole rant at the end of my notes. I don't know how much of that's actually going to make it into the episode. Is it is it about why we still don't have a female president? I mean, something along those lines. Cool. Just, yeah, just all of this made me very angry. Probably just a little bit hysterical, maybe. While they were at it, um, a physician named George Beard began cataloging a list of possible symptoms of hysteria, which eventually topped out at 75 pages long and was still considered incomplete. Mm -hmm. He claimed that almost any ailment could fit the diagnosis, which... Yeah, I mean, if you make something general enough, you can use it and, hey, you diagnose something. So really, anything that was wrong with any lady ever is just oh, hysteria. So during the Victorian era, women were encouraged to carry smelling salts on their person on the off chance they became over-emotional and began to spoon. Uh, not all that different from scent therapy used by ancient Greeks, just to underscore how these same attitudes have been around for literally millennia. <laughs> uh, retrospectively... I think it can be argued that the very narrow constraints women were expected to live in during this time probably caused a lot of the anxiety and depression that then got written off as hysteria. Just, you Neil, know, Just a thought. Gonna throw that out there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so for her book, Hysteria, the Revolt of the Good Girl, <laughs> um, a historian named Elizabeth Lundbeck examined case notes. Oh my god, from finally an early, a woman writing something. Right? Uh, an early, well, wait for it. Uh, Early 20th century psychologist named L.E. Emerson, not a lady, uh, which along with his own observations often included like direct transcription from his hysteric patients accounts. So this is probably like the closest we're going to get from hearing the actual women. Uh, Based on these notes, she found that Lundbeck's patients more or less fell into three main categories. There was women suffering from overt sexual abuse, but lacking terms to describe it or the Uh, social context to explain it. Yeah, because it's, you know, Victorian times. Long before hashtag me too, <sighs> uh, women who said male behaviors like guys being handsy, guys being abusive, straight up sexual coercion, um, all pretty permissible social norms at the time made them feel uncomfortable and, you know, therefore hysterical. This isn't new. It's never been <laughs> new. And um, the third category was women who showed no interest in heterosexual participation are those who did not fulfill or even desire the traditional victorian ideals of romance or childbearing yeah which oof (laughs) yes like i feel like a lot of this just speaks for itself (laughs) like i could stop after every line and talk about how crazy this is yeah so that's Um. the thing all right all three types of women had been diagnosed with hysteria And really, the only shared indicator that Lundbeck found between them was a failure to live up to Victorian standards of womanhood and and female sexuality. Uh, Standards, that it needs to be said, were defined almost exclusively by their relationship to men and what men viewed to be desirable in a woman. So So basically, if it was the Middle Ages, they would have been hanged for being witches. Yeah, so basically what it sounds like is the Victorian equivalent of, oh, we'll never understand women because no one was taking any time to... (laughs) treat women as people or understand them no and like this is the part of my feminist rant at the end is like it isn't about treating the woman it's about well she has all these things and it's definitely due to the fact that she's a lady like men exhibited these same symptoms too like men could be anxious or nervous but they were treated for anxiety and nervousness and not for some made up disease that you use to catalog everything a woman did that you didn't like (laughs) Yeah, basically. Uh, It makes me so angry. That's why we're here. (laughs) And the next line in my notes is, before I go on a rant, too late. Um, So let's talk about the prescribed treatment for all these uppity ladies. (sighs) So you've probably heard, and I know you have because we've talked about this, the um, the narrative that doctors in the 19th and 20th century um, who commonly treated hysteria by masturbating their female patients to orgasm, also called hysterical paroxysm, Mm -hmm. became so overwhelmed with patients that manual treatment became laborious and time-consuming. And this inconvenience drove the early development of, and the market for, the vibrator. You know, some of the greatest things are born out of hardship. You would think. So one um, doctor's carpal tunnel (laughs) has led to a... Well, and see, this is what people believe, but I'm going to be a bummer again, because this is my job by now, I guess. All of this that we've heard and gets repeated over and over again on the internet... Um, was a hypothesis put forward in a book called The Technology of the Orgasm by Rachel Mains, And it's become one of the most widely cited works on the history of sex and technology and is, in fact, cited repedia- repeatedly on the Wikipedia page for female hysteria, which made this research super fun. I can imagine. Some scholars have begun to dispute her whole theory. Um, in 2018, Hallie Lieberman and Eric Schatzberg of the Georgia Institute of Technology did an analysis of Main's book and the sources that she had cited and found actual no direct evidence to support the ideas that doctors used vibrators to cure hysteria. So, (laughs) Aren't there like like vintage vibrators? See, that's the thing. Like vibrators as medical devices were a thing, but they used them on like the spine and the head and the hips and arms and neck. Um, There was also like pelvic massage was also a thing, but it usually meant like uterine massage, and it was a treatment for something like, prolapse sorry oh god (laughs) sorry to bring that mental image into everybody's brains um so it didn't involve the clitoris and it didn't produce an orgasm so it wasn't they were getting ladies off to treat them for hysteria it was they were using it for other medical treatments okay um so there is like some circumstantial evidence that like physicians and midwives as we talked to earlier may have practiced like genital massage as Mm -hmm. they call it Mm -hmm. which sounds very romantic Mm. they didn't at least these authors didn't believe it was ever a staple of medical practice um as Maine states in her book but also to Maine's credit she maintains her work is a theory and should be treated as hypothesis and not fact so yeah that's on us <laughs> honestly after everything i've read i'm inclined to believe that treatment was largely the same as it had always been which is submit yourself to a husband pump out a couple of kids and you'll be fine or worse i mean usually worse I mean, none of that sounds fun to me, but beginning in the 20th century, we're almost there to marginally better world for women. Uh, Beginning in the 20th century, the number of women diagnosed with hysteria sharply declined as doctors and psychologists just got better at diagnosing shit. So they actually began to identify what the underlying problems actually were, like anxiety or epilepsy or schizophrenia. Would you say that... (laughs) It started to take a turn around the time we started letting women become doctors? Yeah, probably has something to do with that. Okay. Just checking. Or just, you know, letting women talk (laughs) and have opinions. Just a thought. I mean, we still don't allow that. Uh, So basically, like, now that they could actually diagnose the actual illness, they didn't have to resort for hysteria to anything they couldn't figure out. Or, I don't know, it's probably all those lady bits. (laughs) Just really what it was all of them (laughs) so many of them so many of them so not that male psychologists weren't still on their bullshit Uh, yeah um sigmund freud who will heretofore be known as that bitch (laughs) was apparently fascinated by hysteria he did claim it could affect both men and women but he focused his study almost exclusively on female patients that sounds Uh, about par for the course yeah and his studies of hysteria would eventually lead, in part, to the development of the Oedipal Complex. He was the penis so, guy, right? Yeah. Okay. So, just a quick primer in the Oedipal Complex for people who haven't taken a high school psychology course. Or it's a basically, high school literature class. Yeah. It's just that we're all low-key sexually attracted to our opposite-sex parent. No. That's just mm, no. Basically, Steve. Really basically isn't his for me. theory. <laughs> So Freud sort of reframe the idea of hysteria as a psychological trauma brought on by a woman's conflict with her own femininity, femininity, which is a word I cannot say. So essentially like that we perceive the absence of masculinity and our lack of a penis as a loss and that we strive to regain that lost phallus by marrying and having babies, which is exactly the kind of treatment Freud recommended. The bullshit has come full circle, everybody. Congratulations. I'm just... I, mm. It's so weird how all these male physicians have all these different theories and it all kind of comes back to that that just one thing. The only reason I would be jealous of a penis is because it kind of seems like you can put it wherever you want and it's okay. <laughs> I just want to see I mean, what that's like. <laughs> generally, that's the whole course of human history. <laughs> just men putting their dicks wherever they feel like it. And not getting in trouble. <laughs> no. <laughs> Sometimes being celebrated. Generally speaking, yes. I mean, look at Attila the Han. He put all it everywhere. Oh, God. Yeah. And <sighs> Genghis Khan, if I'm not mistaken. I feel like, yeah. Is it like Genghis Khan is supp- supposedly like some very high percentage of that area of the world is descended yeah, from him? Yeah, the mythology basically comes down to he fucked. Yeah. He's like a ancient Asian Zeus. Except he didn't like. <laughs> turn into a cloud or anything. Yeah, he just, you know, was a terrible monster. <laughs> and... A horrible monster. Oh boy, we're not going to get into that. That That's another episode, actually. That is probably another episode. Okay, so anyway, to wrap this all up, uh, the American Psychiatric Association Association didn't drop hysteria from um, their DSM, the Diagnosis- Diagnostic and Statistic Manual of Mental Disorders, until 1952, so... That's cool. No, that makes sense. I mean, I'm pretty sure that's, like, 40% of the plot of The Bell Jar, so... Yeah. In the 80s, feminists began reclaiming the term hysteria and using it as a symbol of systemic male oppression, which... It is. I don't think they're wrong. No. It's like, this isn't as sinister as hysteria was invented by the patriarchy to keep women in their place. (laughs) But, I mean, it's not that far off. I mean, it... Like, they used it as an excuse to keep women in their place, which is... Yeah. I mean, there's... uh, Have you seen From Hell? No. Really? First of all, movie recommendation. Um, Noted. It's about Jack the Ripper. Yeah. Uh, I'm familiar with it. I don't think I've ever seen it. Um, I think it's streaming on Prime, if that helps. But there is a character that they arrest because she's illegally married to Prince Edward. And basically, they managed to imprison her and give her a lobotomy under the guise of, oh, she's hysterical. Sounds about right. Yeah. It was so easy. I mean, granted, this is a fictional <laughs> film based on a graphic novel, but like it's not too yeah. far out of the realm of possibility of something that could have happened then. No. And like I made the point here that like medicine throughout history was kind of shit for everyone. So like Well I mean we ate gonna... people for medicine for a yeah. long time. Yes. We learned this in our last episode. We did. But it takes a very specific and insidious kind of willful willful ignorance to dismiss legitimate physical and mental illness as just another symptom of... It's laziness. It's very lazy, and so you can't be fucking bothered to treat a female patient as anything other than a victim of her sex. So what we learned today is uh, doctors have historically been lazy. Yeah. But not... Well, I mean, there's very good doctors. There always have been, but, you know... Throughout history, yeah. Maybe try a different bit. It's maddening in this research. Made me very angry. I'm glad we did this episode so I could rant about it to our tens of listeners. <laughs> tens of them. And if you want to fight me on Twitter, come at me. <laughs> you know, they're just going to write a review about it. Don't worry. <laughs> I mean, we got rid of our other main. Th- if I say Bigfoot did it, do you think they'll like the episode? I mean, if you say that some uh, guy who is on TV did it or is a fraud, then yeah, probably. So yeah, we'll work yeah, that angle. Right. That's all I got. <laughs> I mean, that's. I managed a lot. to cut. I managed to cut my rant down to uh, thirty-seven minutes, which is how long we've been recording. Well, I mean, there's that like five minutes in the middle where both of our internet or my internet was. I think it was just your internet, but. <laughs> internet was not cooperating so you repeated the same paragraph like six times but you can edit that to be longer right yes i'll uh slow it down to half time great that'll make me sound very smart and cool or like uh droopy the dog so we'll see how that pans out Seventieth 70- 70th episode is next i don't know what anniversary that is oh i can look it up real quick let me 70th anniversary gift uh, it's a pillow. No, um, the seventieth is platinum, which we can't afford because no one has donated to our tip jar yet. <laughs> I can finally get that platinum Ben Feldman mug. <laughs> That's the dream, really. Uh, that is the dream. If I had the rights and was creepy enough to sell Ben Feldman branded after- afternoonified mugs, um, <laughs> you bet your ass I would. But I feel like that would land us in prison eventually, right? I- just really need him on my side and that's not how you do it no no that's called being crazy it is almost hysterical please don't i'm gonna stop making this joke so let's see orders of business to cover um we will have a very special treat for you guys next week yeah keep an eye out for that and the week after that and the week after that if you're really curious listen to the last episode because emily gives it away yeah i'm very good at that just giving it all away (laughs) Especially to five foot three Israeli guys. That's what kind of podcast we're running now. Oh boy, huh? It's Afternoon a Guys we fucked. Anyways, uh, next week, special treat. Uh, you can go to www.getafternoonified.com uh, to listen to past episodes. You can donate to that tip jar that we were talking about. Uh, even a little goes a very long way. Or if you want something in exchange for your money, we have merch on the website as well. Um, we are on uh, Twitter at Afternoonified. Uh, uh, that other one. Instagram at Afternoonified. Facebook at Facebook.com slash GetAfternoonified. Um, oh, rate, review, subscribe. The usual. All of yeah. that stuff. Uh, I think that's all I have. Did you say email? Email, uh, not contact to GetAfternoonified. Please don't. I'm not paying for that anymore. Afternoonifiedpod Afternoonified pod. at gmail. Yep. com And... We'll get used to it one of these yeah, days. fuck it. I'm going to throw it in here. If you are a podcaster yourself or you are thinking about starting a podcast or you know someone who is starting a podcast or has one who is looking for hosting, promotion, that kind of stuff, uh, you can email media at gmail.com. And uh, we are looking to add a couple shows to our roster in preparation for... Well, I guess I just announced it, but whatever. That's a super soft launch of... I am very good at announcing stuff before we're ready to announce it. But <laughs> yeah, you can shoot an email. You can also DM me on Twitter or Instagram. I don't really care. Just get in touch. And uh, we're looking for pretty much anything, specifically if you have a true crime podcast that's more factually based than After Nunified. Which, as we established, it's not hard, factual. It's not hard to be more factually <laughs> no. based. Uh, anyway, that's, that's all the business I have. That's all I've got. Okay, bye. Bye, we love you.